This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. Four years ago, SS15 in Subang Jaya was the undisputed capital of bubble tea in Malaysia, where at the peak, there were an estimated 150 brands in this country. Today, the boba landscape is very different, the craze is over, and many shops have closed. But yet, one brand has continued to grow with close to more than 930 shops dotted across Malaysia and beyond. We speak to CEO and founder of multi-brand F&B group Loop Holding, Brian Loop. Thanks for coming on the show again, Brian. Now, first off, for those who are thinking, Loop, what brand of bubble tea is that? A more familiar name is, of course, Tea Life. Now, since we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about the outlook. Brian, will 2023 be a better year than 2022? Or might it be actually worse, no thanks to a slowing economy and people? People generally tightening their wallets for all brands under the loop, be it Tea Life or Bus Bear Coffee. So I think um, generally we are quite positive with our 2023 outlook. And uh, as much as um, 2023 has a lot of headwind, but we always believe that you know uh, we are serving the mass. And then our product is is already at a, a very affordable price range for a lot of um, suburban and rural area um, 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 consumer. So we believe that the brand will continue to trend well in 2023. Uh, also together with some of the new portfolio that we have in the pipeline. Okay, but what kind of growth are you expecting? Let's be more specific. Let's start with um, top line because based on company records, top line growth, and I only have data up to 2021. So top line growth from 2019 to 2020 was 77%. Then flat at $343 million for 2021. No thanks to the pandemic. So I don't have more recent numbers. What kind of growth can we expect? So, so we end uh, 2022 with a um, pretty positive outlook. Mm. Actually, we, uh, the first time that we surplus 500 million. And uh, we were looking at um, continue to achieve a top line growth of 20-30% year on year. And uh, also thanks to our regional expansion. Uh, and then uh, that also contribute quite a bit to our overall uh, performance. And bottom line growth, is it also double digit? Are you expecting that? Because uh, 2021, the magic number was more than 60, 61, 62 million ringgit, right? Yep, yep. I would say at the teens, I wouldn't too bullish mm. <laughs> because, you know, uh, we know that 2023 has a lot of headwind that we never expected as well. But we believe that, you know, um, a lot of our new portfolio they have uh, under the group, our regional expansion will, will start to be matured starting this year. So this growth, be it top line and bottom line, is driven very much by, you say, by the store openings, right? That begs the next question. Are you even close to saturation point in terms of store openings? Uh, very good question. Um, so, you know, every, every year we thought that, you know, when we reach 100, then felt, hey, is that saturated already? Then we get to 200, and then we slowly get to 400, 500, to where we are, 800. Our next goal is to get to 1,000 stores. So we got 180 stores away from getting to 1,000 stores in Malaysia. We think we can do it because uh, there's still a lot underpenetrated uh, third tier and fourth tier CD that we're not in. And uh, we believe that by just continue to evolve in our model, we can get there. And as you know that uh, we are probably the only bubble tea player in the world that's very diversified in terms of formats. You can see us in multiple different formats. We got up to about 10 to 12 different formats. And one of the most successful formats we had is actually petrol station. This is your collaboration with, with Petronas, right? Yeah. So today, we collectively have a couple of brands, uh, oil and gas brand uh, with us. Petronas being the largest uh, lion's share. Mm. Uh, in our network, we have about close to 200 stores with them. 
And then we got Shell, VHP, Caltex, and also uh, Petron. So collectively, I think we got about 250, uh, 260 outlets uh, of petrol station outlets throughout the whole nationwide. We believe in petrol station segment alone, we can continue to grow the segment to get to, um, our, I don't know, um, Malaysia has about 2,600 stations. Our goal is to penetrate at least 20% of them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also curious, what are same-store sales growth really like? You know, because sometimes when you just expand, it yep. masks what is really truly your growth. Yeah, yeah. And after a certain point, it tapers off. Yep. So for our SSSG growth uh, can be quite varied uh, because the format that we have is very, very diverse. So as compared to a lot of peer, which is probably just shopping malls, probably just street stores, mm. and probably just drive through, ours is probably uh, three times more diverse than them. So with all this, we come along with um, probably a, a very different SSG outlook. Lah. And uh, this year, I think we are at the teens. We have been um, negative mm. uh, in COVID, but uh, a very light negative. Uh, but we're coming to expect that we're turning black lah, in SSG. Is there any strategy to acquire new brands since we wonder about average spend at your stores? So I think two parts uh, are essential. One is uh, definitely our own business, how do we deep dive. So when you look at our brand mantra, right, it's always more than tea. But so, people just go to Tea Life and buy a drink. I mean, yeah. you, you see, and how many drinks can you buy each time? Just one per person, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Uh, Pre-COVID, uh, actually, you know, coffee menu is always in our menu. Uh, we have nine different drink portfolio between the menu. And coffee has never been about 2% pre-COVID. Yes, but I have I think, hardly ever seen anybody hold a Tea Life yes, coffee mug, a yes. coffee cup. So Tea Life coffee has grown up to 12%. Uh, of the total product mix and, and that's quite commendable. Mm. Uh, actually, if you realise there's a lot of um, PR going around Coffee by Tea Life. Is that more profitable then? Yes. Is that why you want to move into coffee? Um, because always more than tea is always our DNA. So coffee is just one segment. So when you look at Tea Life Eats as another category, uh, we went from maybe about 2% contribution of product mix, today went all the way up to 6% of product mix. So if we continue to elaborate the layers, uh, cater for different customers' need states, as when people went to our shop lot, people get a food products, get to eat products. We have hot kitchen integrated and store where mm-hmm. they can walk away with our toasty products, mac and cheese and all this. That will continue to grow. But for the mall, instead, when you go to Pavilion, when you go to KLCC, we have Tea Life Plus concept where we feature a very exclusive menu that they, they, they didn't get elsewhere. So Tea Life Plus model will also be a model that we continue to penetrate all the different malls okay. to so capture different needs states. To attract a higher average spend, right? Yep. But then what about new brands? I mean, your goal has always been to be this multi-brand F&B operator focusing on drinks. What's yep. missing in the jigsaw, Brian? So our vision, uh, you know, we sort of renew our vision a bit during COVID. Uh, Pre-COVID, we wanted to be the largest um, bubble tea player in Malaysia and Southeast Asia. I think okay, fast- Malaysia, you've definitely achieved that goal. Yeah. So fast forward today, I think uh, we also managed to achieve in Southeast Asian Town Store Count. We are the largest bubble tea footprint in, uh, in, in Southeast Asian Town Store Count. But we have evolved our vision to become the leading tech enabler, beverages operator in this region. So what does that mean is because uh, we have an aspiration that we wanted to move from just being 100% brick and mortar and offline player to going forward that um, 50% of our transaction powered through digital. How much is it now? So it's about 30% through aggregators. But uh, we are coming very aggressive to be our own apps, uh, direct-to-consumer apps that will go to market on March. By then, we will power our own delivery. So with that... So you're moving away from using, let's say, Grab, Food Panda. No. Uh, we on top supplement with another layers. 
uh, that is completely uh, company-owned or our brand, brand branded uh, apps where we cater for uh, direct-to-consumer uh, delivery platform where they can opt for different omni-channel experience, order ahead, pick up later, anytime, anywhere they want. Or they can even opt for our own delivery where they can collect a very attractive loyalty point mm. and reward system. So with that, you know, we want to have a three layers of um, delivery, not just uh, Grab, Panda and Shopee. We want to add another own delivery platform. Is this driven very much by the constraint that a lot of F&B operators have, which is manpower? Because it sounds like you're using data, uh, automation, technology, right? Is, is this a reason? I mean, has manpower actually been one of the reasons that have perhaps curtailed the growth that you want? or you hope to achieve? Not, not really. Um, because COVID, right, we, we really beneficial from um, having that omni-channel experience. We did a lot of initiative. We got the drive, drive-in initiative where people can scan mm. the QR code. When they park in the car, we rented all the car park right in front of our stores. They scan and then our stuff delivered to their doorstep yes. they, without going to the store. That, and then we can order ahead, scan and pick up later anywhere, any, anytime, anywhere they want. And with all these initiatives, we realize that our consumer, right, we're able to cater very differently state for them and stay relevant. I have read many articles that say that you've got like this target of 100 new tea live stores per annum. Now, I'm curious, what's the focus here? Is it own stores or franchises, Brian? So we started off uh, with the hybrid model, a bit of um, company own and also franchise. Mm. But as we pursue, right, uh, for the last five years, Actually, we've been slowing down our franchise model. In fact, we have not been franchising for the last three years Oh, for cool. T-Life. So it's entirely company-owned model. Uh, today, the ratio of company-owned is about 70% and 30% franchise model used to be legacy. La. So going forward, the outlook is um, we will continue to deep dive in our company-owned model. And the difference is whatever between Southeast Asia, as much as our effort and our, our resources can cover, we try to be company-owned. That's why when we go to Philippines, it's 100% company-owned. Okay. So anything beyond Southeast Asia will be a franchise model. All right. So why your focus on own stores? I mean, are these lessons learned from your own experience with the legal dispute you had <laughs> with Cha Times Taiwanese parent, La Cafa? That franchisees can always just walk away like you did or worse, start a competing business or using think, wrong materials yeah. not prescribed. I think commercially, uh, we all understood that company-owned model was a lot more profitable. And not just uh, on top, you know, um, easy to control and all this, but it's actually very, very profitable. And one of the reasons why the, the company is doing so well is because we own a lot more company-owned stores versus franchise model. Just imagine today is 100% franchise model. I don't think that we, we are that profitable. I'm curious, what is the typical then payback period for a tea life store? I mean, what's about two the... Years. Two years. Yeah, about two years. And then do you then decide after two years, okay, this store is not doing well, we're just going to close it down. How do you monitor so many stores? Yeah, so we we don't um, we don't simply close the stores uh, every time when we committed the capex. Uh, but what we do is we will monitor the progress of all these new uh, establishment, all the new store, and we monitor between six months right, whether are they in rate. And um, how do we deal with um, non-performing store? Is yes. any store between six months and in rate, we will make a decision to close it. And that's so you don't even we, wait for the two years no, faster that, than that, that. Become the internal SOP for us. So as we grow store and we also rationalizing non-performing store at the same time. So it's not just adding store count, but also addressing some of the non-performing store. What are the reason? Is it mean that the trade zone that we are in is no longer relevant? Is that the mall that we are in is, is, has, been, has been losing a lot of traction? Or the, the corner that we are in has been uh, losing a lot of traffic? So we continue to rationalize store while we're more stores. 
On the breakfast grill this morning is Brian Liu, CEO and founder of Loop Holding. When we come back from the break, how clear is the path to an IPO for this multi-brand F&B operator that enjoyed revenue of more than 500 million BFM 89.9? You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat this morning is Brian Liu, CEO and founder of multi-brand F&B operator Loop Holding. Before the break, what has been driving growth in the past two years that allowed the company to surpass 500 million ringgit in revenue? Now, Brian, with more than 900 stores to manage, how do you actually ensure consistency in product quality and taste? So tell me about this back-end systems. How much control really is there over ingredients and supply sources? So I think the company um, has run for about more than decades, uh, slightly more than decades. I think uh, I'll consider pretty well oil engine. Uh, we have um, onboard a, a very powerful ERP system, which uh, synchronized the entire functional group for group, uh, group level. And what do you mean by ERP? Uh, ERP where we can console uh, all different, um, um, synergize all different departments in terms of information data. Okay. So from there, from the ERP system, we will know exactly, you know, which outlets putting the stock, what are the uh, the stock refreshment looking like, and do we able to do auto refreshment for them? So with that, we can omit down the level where we we doesn't have to be any normal stuff have uh, they they will make the orders right. So if we leave it to any other stuff that's not being well trained, then you get things that people that's underserved because the stock is not enough. Uh, or people is overserved because the stock is overly buy. Okay, so, so it's a that, very sophisticated form of inventory management that's yeah, connected. Yeah. So with the vision of ERP is is auto refreshment is our bad is is the end goal. Mm. So with that right, we can omit off all the eight hundred or nine hundred supervisor without actually ordering stocks. So we don't leave that to the um, uh, we don't leave that uh, to their own judgment. Instead, we will console everything back to the HQ to do that part of work. And has it been a challenge in the last few years? to ensure that you can get the ingredients you want to make, you know, the different types of teas, you know, because the last two years has been, you know, keep hearing the buzzword, right? Yep. Supply chain shortages, inventory issues. Have you suffered that, Brian? Um, so we have a policy that, you know, every ingredient that we have, we should have at least two to three uh, alternatives. So I think the policy that we set before COVID has made us cruising quite well mm. throughout the COVID. And what we did throughout COVID is we know that the headwind, the regional uh, um, globalizations will allow a lot of stock to to get caught. Yeah, you might not rather. need, you might not be able to get it when you want it. So we, what we managed to do is we managed to localize about fifty percent of our used to be overseas raw mat now to be produced from locally. So with that, you know, we have overseas suppliers, we have local suppliers. So at all time, right, we have enough inventory to support our expansion plan. Okay, and you know, the other challenge, maintaining margins. I had a peek at company accounts and uh, like I say, the latest I can get is for financial year and June 2021. And then pre-tax margins were 24%, which isn't much different than the year before. But I think 2022 was a very different year, right? Yep. All food costs rose very sharply, be it milk solids, palm yep. oil, cocoa, coffee prices, not helped by the weak ringgit. So has... Loop been able to maintain margins? I think the, the business has been quite prudent uh, over the years because the growth have allowed us to command quite a big volume okay. on a certain very, very key ingredients. With that, right, we give us a very good strength to wrestle with our suppliers. La. You negotiate them down? I would say in a good reason. La. We're able to maintain our price in many, many ways. So you have not raised the price at the shops at all? Uh, uh, last drink, year, for example. We, we did a small hike on the price, which is about 4%. 
just in relative to all the food costs have increased, mm. we did that one round. And um, we continue to monitor and keep it minimal because, you know, as I said, we are serving people on the street every day. And the kids are buying is not from KL, not just from KL. They're buying from all the way from police, Kelantan. We want to make sure that prices is relatively affordable for everyone. Today, there's a plethora of choices. Trends come and go. One minute we line up for donuts, then bubble tea. Next, fancy croissants. I'm not sure what's next. But Brian, is there ever a worry that loop brands might be irrelevant or worse, stale and become boring? So I think we we are no different from other players that we have continued to innovate and also evolve. So the made-to-order segment has grown tremendously and we can see that our peer business has also grown at the same time. Yeah, so there's a lot more competition. How are you fending them off? I mean, in the last one year, I've noticed a lot more coffee players in town like Zeus Coffee, Gigi, Kananga Coffee, they've all just popped up. So I think it was in and around our brand mantra, which is all more than tea. So when you look at drink portfolio, uh, we have nine different key categories. People can get um, coffee, chocolate, milk tea, iron mm. palm sugar range, brown sugar, smoothie range, Japanese concoction, fruit tea base. So with that large portfolio of drinks, uh, it really one of the success models that we ever created for brand. Okay, yeah, so you're not worried about the competition. You don't think you will ever be irrelevant one day. So we believe that, you know, uh, we are here to cultivate the cultures mm. where we believe that cultures uh, is... How do we cultivate the modern day doing cultures everywhere we expand our footprint? So in order to cultivate cultures, right, we need a competition. We cannot be alone. And uh, as much as Malaysian, everyone drink coffee, it's because that everywhere is so accessible. But today, if we can do that the similar way, for tea, then, you know, we will do a lot more faster to cultivate the cultures. Now, you keep growing. Is this part of your race to list by 2024? That's what I read. Cash out while you're perhaps at the top of your game. I think listing has never been the end game. Lah. You oh. did talk about it pre-COVID though. Yeah. And I think the, the story has resurfaced in recent months. Yep. I always say, you know, um, even listing is just the beginning of what we're trying to do. And the goal is always to be able to build a... a globally renowned uh, tea brand that's originated from Malaysia. And that's always our vision. And uh, these things always in the cut, I would say. Uh, but the only consideration is um, we wanted to make sure that our regional footprint are sizable. Are you there yet? How far are you from reaching that goal? Uh, so is 2024 not happening in terms of a listing? Is that going to be pushed back? I, I would say that it wouldn't be too far away. Uh, we are double down our expansion plan in Philippines right now. Uh, we're hoping to achieve 100 stores. So by then, you know, Philippines will be a second largest home out from Malaysia. Mm. From there, I think that's time that we feel that probably is more matured to go to market. Okay, because I'm sure there's pressure coming from private equity firm Credor, which did take a 30% stake, right? Uh, Brian, how much did they pay for it in 2021? Market talk is between 200 to 260 million. And if I based on a profit of 61 million ringgit in 2021, it works out to a PE price earning ratio range of 11 to 14 points. 14 times? Am I about right, Brian? I think the, the news is all over the place. Um, so you can confirm the story then? <laughs> you know, we're probably not in the position to, to, to comment la on behalf of our partners, but mm. I think the news is all over the place. Um, um, many of them has also validated with our, uh, the, the market intel as well. I would say so that, it is you know, correct. It is around that range, 200 to 260 million. I would say that um, um, the valuation was very, uh, very fair for the family. Um, and also, uh, it's 100% secondary because um, if you realise, uh, in fact, by 2020 June, we're supposed to go to market already. Yes. And then hit by COVID in April. So we kind of delayed our, our entire, uh, all the listing plan. 
uh, to further lah. Not until then, you know, uh, we got the private partners who came along the way. So what has Credor brought to the table other than perhaps CEO Brahmal Vasudevan's magic touch when it comes to IPOs? I mean, he is, after all, the name behind Mr. DIY, CTOS, all Credor investing companies that did very well. Is that their role to ensure the IPO goes well? So I think one of the things that they really bring to the table is about regional expansion. And uh, I specifically want to emphasize that is because um, they, they have a pretty large footprint uh, in the region. So together with them, after the entry into Loop, we started to plan for regional expansion. And the first market we pick is actually Philippines. Okay. So Philippines, they have a pretty robust team in Philippines and also a lot of investee company. And we realized that, you know, with their help, their resources, you know, our head start were a lot more stronger that, than we used to expand ourselves. We just do back, just go to overseas and expand store. A lot more effective, a lot more penetrated. So they brought capital to the table also, right? Not so much, actually. Not so much, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's through uh, internal loop cash flow. But what they bring to the table is actually an uh, um, expansion uh, market opening strategy. And also we leverage a lot of their intel within the local markets. Uh. Now the trillion dollar question. What kind of valuations are you looking to, to list at? I mean, if, if... The Credo stake was really completed at 11 to 14 times. I'm sure Loop will come to the market at even higher valuations then. We'll we leave that part of the job <laughs> to Brahmal and the team. You know, um, you haven't we, engaged we, the we investment know bankers. We on that piece of work. I'm sure they'll be knocking on your doors, <laughs> all the investment bankers, and as a, we speak. You know, being a very typical business owner, I always say, you know, we, we leave the, the piece of work that we're not quite good at it to the partners that's, you know, it's their bread and butter. And for me, right, it's really just nurturing the brand. Okay, because, yeah. you know, I, I'm all about the money, right? <laughs> I look at Brajaya Food. I would think that's a very useful benchmark, or at least, uh, you know, a good com- uh, competitor. They're trading at 15 times whole earnings, and their net income was 127 million ringgit last year. So, you know, are you going to come to the market at, at that price valuation, 15 times or even higher than? I think the benchmark may not be uh, fully reflected the business principle of where we're at mm. uh, because we wanted to be the largest and leading drinks portfolio company originated from Malaysia and hopefully the largest in Southeast Asia. Lah. So with the portfolio we have currently, um, Tea Life, Bassware Coffee, Wonder Brew, the Kombucha brand, also Soda Express, is in and around all the drinks beverages. So we want to make sure that, you know, we continue to focus in, in F&B sector, we just look at drinks as our primary business principle. So if we can continue to grow that, you know, we want it to be the largest uh, beverages operator in this region. Okay, but Brian, yeah. some people will say that you are just encouraging Malaysians to drink far more sugar than they should, right? You know, sadly, we are, we are the most obese country in Asia. The health ministry has declared that 9, 30% of Malaysians are overweight and almost 20% are obese. So isn't loop part of the problem? Not really, actually. You know, uh, as you know, we we famous for customization, and uh, because of that, we actually have a sugar machine. Being able to power the multiple different sugar level, uh, the original normal level is hundred percent. So people can offer 70, 50, 30, 0, or even hundred and twenty. So that's entirely depend on the consumer, lah. But sometimes consumers don't always make the best choices for themselves. Yeah, and yep. you're facilitating that. So if you realize, uh, in twenty twenty one, we introduced a very different sugar alternative called Aringa. Pinata palm sugar. So orange palm sugar has be, become the permanent um, menu uh, category between the, the, the menu portfolio. So orange palm sugar, was so special about orange palm sugar, right? Uh, it's the lowest GI index sugar as compared to table sugar, brown sugar, or even honey. But it's still sugar. Yes, but probably a better alternative. And you are very lucky in the sense that there is no sugar tax imposed on handmade beverages, right? Yeah. Well, one day when that comes, are you prepared for it? 
Will yeah, that, won't we, that we impact do. your margins, your current healthy margins of 24%? We, we do um, because it's still, you know, customization. Yeah, I think we're still able to probably um, cruise through even the policy lah when it comes. On that note, thank you for your time today on The Breakfast Grill is Brian Lu, CEO and founder of multi-brand F&B drink operator Loop Holdings. I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.